We're in Galatians chapter 5, and that's where we finished on Sunday night. I want to thank you for coming and being here this evening. I want to be brief, but I also want to be clear with the teaching of God's Word this evening. I've enjoyed studying this passage of Scripture. I know we are coming up on the Christmas season, but one of the best things you can do, and some of you, you are like others in this room and throughout the world, that when it comes to the holidays, it is not pleasurable for you. You're a bear. You're hard to deal with. You don't like them. You don't like them, and you're not good to be with around them. Talk to a man the other day, so I don't want to, I just, I hate the holidays, the way I was raised. I just don't like the holidays. I don't like Christmas. I don't, don't want to be there. And, and uh, boy, you don't want to be that kind of a person, number one. And it is another day on the calendar. But I think if we are children of God, the best way we can weather any kind of disappointing or challenging time is with the whole help of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, we find here that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church of Galatia that he had started this church, but uh, they had got into legalism and let legalism, the Jewish uh, Judaizers came in and they began talking to them, yeah, it's good to be saved, but you've got to work it out and you've got you've to live by the law and you've got to keep the law. And he's telling them, no, that's not the way it is. He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you? They started listening to someone they shouldn't listen to. And that's still a 21st century problem today. Uh, people listen too much. We just got a lot more listened to. You've got a lot more podcasts, and you've got a lot more ways in which you can get a hold of information, and people can get a hold of you. And in any kind of a false teaching, there are victims, and there are villains. There are people who know exactly what they're doing. They know it's not true, and yet they're trying to deceive on purpose, infused by satanic forces. But there are oftentimes many victims who take the term, I find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, when it comes to the 1 Timothy chapter 1, the first uh, chapter is about keeping the doctrine sound. Paul told Timothy, I want you to stay at Ephesus, and you charge some that they teach no other doctrine than the purity of God's Word. And there's an importance to being simplistic. There's an importance to just keeping, not being bored with the basics. People who oftentimes get bored with the base start looking for new truth, new ideas, new this, new that. And really, uh, I think there's a, we could spend a lifetime on John 3.16. And I'm glad we have the whole Bible, but the truth of the matter is, it's not rock and science. You can live a holy, pure, uh, productive life with simplistic truths from God's Word. And uh, Paul told the church at Corinth, I'm just afraid, I'm, 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 I'm nervous that you're going to get away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Christ is not complicated. He's your friend. He loves you. And he, focusing on him, I love that about Apostle Paul, when Christ, who's my life, for me to live is Christ. He tells us that he says uh, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet I, but Christ liveth in me. He was focused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do that, I'll do that. We're going to be okay till we stand before him one day. But we get all caught up and get, and I, I find that first chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he said, now look, when it comes to these people asking doting questions that get you off the thing, here's what happens. Somebody swerved, some having swerved. And then later he says, they have become shipwreck. You know, on a road, that you're driving, somebody swerves. Sometimes it's daddy that swerves. Sometimes it's mom that swerves. Sometimes it's the leader that swerves. Sometimes it's a pastor that can swerve away from biblical truths. But somebody swerves. But I'm telling you, you swerve, and you cannot control how many are injured in a shipwreck. 
You get off, off pace. It doesn't have to take a lot to get off pace. Just get off a little bit off pace. Get going in a wrong direction. There's going to be a wreck. And when the wreck takes place, I remember years ago as, I, as I, my dad was driving a little van full of about 12, 11 kids in it, and, and he's driving along the, a highway in Mississippi, and a drunken fellow swerved off the, off the road, and he came into his lane and hit that, hit that, that, that to van. I'll never forget having a broken hip and laying on top of a, of a hospital, excuse me, a, a police car on a cold Mississippi night when I heard someone say to my dad, Mr. Wilkerson, we can't get Tom to wake up. And Tom Keezer was a young man in our church, and he was in that passenger, right passenger seat, and I had on collision, Tom went into eternity. It took one person to swerve, but boy, that whole, our whole lives were all turned up and side down in a wreck. And I think that is a doctrinal thing. I think doctrinally, we must stay pure to the Word of God. It's an important process that all of us need to do. And he was telling the church of Corinth, the church of Galatia, you need to be pure. But he goes into something. Let's just real quickly review what we saw on Sunday night, beginning, if you would please, at verse number 16. This I say then, would you read the rest of the verse with me? Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill. Walk in the Spirit. That's just as, it's just as plain. That's not a Baptist teaching. That's not a, a Pentecostal teaching. That's not a Presbyterian teaching. That is a Bible teaching. And you overcome evil with good. Many of us, there are some things that we don't want to do that we end up doing. We find ourselves in the ditch and have habits and problems. Let me tell you something. One of the things to overcome some kind of bad stuff is to make sure you replace it with good stuff. And the, we spend a lot more time killing weeds than we ought to be growing grass. Rather than killing the weeds of sin, and we need to go for the juggler on those things, but one of the best ways you can overcome a stubborn habit is to be spirit-filled. To be filled with the Spirit. He said, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, look at verse number 17. The Bible says this, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary one to another, and you cannot do the things that you would. He said, look, we're all in a battle. When you get saved, your spirit is awakened. It's quickened. That's the Bible term, to be made, to be made aware or to awaken. And the Bible tells in Ephesians chapter 2, Ye which were dead in trespass of sin have now been, been quickened or made alive. So everybody that, uh, that is a human being, you're a trichotomy. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. But it seems to be our spirit is dead until we get saved. But the moment we get saved, our spirit uh, becomes alive. But we have had a very strong soul for a long time. We have very, a very strong flesh. And it's, uh, sometimes it's an, and the analogy is made between... Um, between, um, oh goodness, Abraham, Abraham's oldest son. What's his name? Ishmael. Ishmael and Isaac. I couldn't remember. I was going to say Esau. I knew, they, I knew that wasn't correct. Ishmael and Isaac. And remember, how old was Ishmael when, uh, when uh, Isaac was born? About 13 years old. There's a difference there. He was stronger. He was a bully. He, gave, he poked, at, poked fun at Isaac. And the truth of the matter is, when you get saved, uh, whatever age you are, your flesh is stronger than your spirit. And you're in a battle, one against the other, one to please the flesh, the other to please God. And he says, he said, look, they, they struggle one with another. 
And everything I do, everything you do, we're going to either do it in the spirit or we're going to do it in the flesh. Let me tell you, the most regrettable days in, in, the, in the life and times of John Wilkerson and experience I've ever had is when I've been living a flesh-filled life. The best days in the life and times of John Wilkerson, the best days in your life, are the days you've lived for the Lord. When the Holy Spirit, boy, any good thing ever happened to you, you're going to look back and say, man, I'm glad I walked in the spirit that day. Any victory you've had is going to go back to the Holy Spirit-filled life. I need to hasten, but let's look if we can, please, at verse number 18. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh. Works, singular or plural? It's plural. Now, he said, these are the works of the flesh that are manifest, that become obvious. And he's going to go into three categories, rank sexual sins, and then he's going to talk about religious sins, and then he's going to talk about relationship sins, 17 of them are individual actions, and I don't know that they're, they're all exhaustive, but 17 sins, he's going to begin with immorality, adultery, and then fornication, and then uncleanness, any kind of, of sexual, sexual sin, regardless of it, homosexuality, bestiality, whatever it is, and then lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is between your ears. Those are sins not necessarily acted out, but they are... Uh, they're, they're, it's a, an overoccupation with sexual things. He said, that's a work of the flesh. Then he's going to talk about idolatry and witchcraft, which are religious sins. And then he's going to go into relationship sins, the works of the flesh, beginning with hatred. And you can continue on and see in verse number 20, hatred and variance, argumentative. Uh, generating strife, emulations, and then of wrath, losing your temper, arguments, seditions, that basically is undermining authority in some ways, uh, heresies, creating a cause and trying to get other people on your side of the cause. Listen, some folks, strife is their life. If they're not, if they're not, in, a, they're not in a fight, they're going to be. It just seems like to me they're always in a, in a, 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 a secular drama, a drama mama, if you will. And, 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 and it's because, it's not because they're a bad person, it's because they're flesh-filled. They are just, they're, they're emulating the things that come when we do the, live a flesh-filled life. Uh, some folks, they do okay for a few weeks, and then all of a sudden it just comes back around. And that's why the Bible says, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In the book of Matthew, Jesus uh, reminds them, hey, listen, your, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Things you want to do, things you don't do. He even ends the, the Lord's Prayer, that model prayer, with this, with this challenge to us. He said, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Protect me from the temptation of my flesh, and certainly we see that to be the case. In Romans chapter 13, verse number 12, he, talks, he, says, uh, he says, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't make a given, uh, the flesh an opportunity, because if you give the flesh an inch, it'll take a mile. <laughs> and then it gets complicated. Every one of these 17 sins will keep you from enjoying your eternity in the way you want to. Now, let me just remind you, that speaks of the word inheritance. It cannot inherit your life. I personally do not believe it has anything to do with your destination. A Christian can do any one of those 17 sins that an unsaved person can do. But they cannot be rewarded eternally by the Lord Jesus in the same way. 
I think heaven is a free gift. We just believe it and receive it. A person can, be, can have all kinds of things after they're saved. And uh, I, I think I have a friend of mine that I, I was uh, in the same church when he got saved. I watched him get baptized. I stood in a hallway one day and said, do you know you're saved? He said, yes, Pastor. And I have no reason to doubt that his, his testimony is not sincere. But he went off and continued to live a very wicked life. And uh, recently died a very cruel death. And I think about it, I, I, don't, I don't rejoice, I grieve. But I do believe that God says, you know what? I think uh, that you've crossed the line. You've got that sin to death. You've continued to make a, a bad testimony of my name. And I've given you many times to return. And I'm just going to take you home early. I do believe that God does that. I don't think he takes them to health or truly save. Anyone who's saved is saved. Once you're born, you can't be unborn. But you live in the lust of the flesh and you continue doing that. It, the Bible teaches us that the lust of the flesh are sin. And they bring death. And a, and a death to relationships. You want to really mess up relationships? Start living in the flesh. See what adultery does to, to healthy relationships. See what hatred does. See what murder does. See what variance does and seditions. See what witchcraft and all these foolishness and idolatry does. It, it, it puts to death to relationship, to potential, to success. The Bible tells us that um, he that covereth his sin shall not, what? You live a lust of the flesh, you're not going to prosper. But whoso confesses and forsaketh the sin shall have mercy. And I'm, in, I'm interested here because I do think there are some very wicked sins that are listed here. But then there's some sins that we kind of get, we just kind of like, oh, I just lost my temper. Listen, it's in the same group with adultery. <laughs> Variants, seditions, emulations are in the same group with witchcraft. I don't know about you, but wherever witchcraft is, I want to be somewhere else. I want to stay as far away from that as I possibly can. But I should not pat myself on the head when I lose my temper someday. I should not pat myself on the head when I'm full of strife and, and creating, uh, creating issues and trying to get people on my side of the issues. That's a heresy. That's, that's something you shouldn't do. Drunkenness and revelings, the party spirit. He said these things are, these are the worst of the flesh. Let's look if we can please and continue on. Verse number 22. But now he changes the page and now he's going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Did I read that correctly? I did not. Is fruit singular or plural? It's singular. It seems to me that the Lord is telling us here through the Apostle Paul, the instrument that God used, all Scripture has given inspiration of God. But the human instrument that God used here is Paul, and he says the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like to me it is the same uh, fruit, like a cluster of one fruit, but it has nine different attributes. He said, the fruit of the Spirit, and he's going to give nine different things, love, joy, peace. Those are things that are internal in nature. They're on the inside of you. And then he'll, he'll go on to say gentleness and goodness and faith, excuse me, um, long-suffering, uh, gentleness and goodness. Those are things that are expressed to those around me. Three are inward, two, three are outward, and then the last, four, the last three, beginning with faith, and meekness and temperance are upward. Those are toward the Lord. Faith to God, meekness, allowing God to set my pace, be happy with God's pace in, his play, in my place in, in, his, in his will. 
and then of temperance, allowing the Spirit of God to control my life. Not trying to be self-willed. Many of us, one of our problems with uh, being living Spirit-filled life has to do with our will versus His will. We got an idea what we want to happen, when we want it to happen, how we want it to happen, and if it doesn't happen our way, then we have a problem. And you can do that, and I can do that, but I am going to suffer the works of the flesh. I'm just telling you, when you let God take control and you're content with what he's given you, I'm not, I'm not saying everything that's happened to you has, has been great. I was talking to the young people today in, in the college, and I was thinking about this, this thing that, uh, that Zacharias was on the right side of the altar and incense. And I just told him, I think you ought to be on the right side of something. Nothing's ever settled right, so it'll settle right with God. Find out what God's way is to do. But then when God's angel approached him, he said, he said, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. And he probably thought, well, I mean, the prayer I prayed this morning? No, it was a prayer that he prayed many years ago. At this time, he was not praying that his, that his wife would have a baby. That, that, that had come and went. That, that ship had already sailed in his mind. This is a prayer he prayed a long time ago. And now God says to him as an old man, your prayer has been heard. And he's thinking, what prayer are you talking about? Which one? You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And it reminded me that prayer is heard. You know, God hears our prayer. He said, call to me and I will answer thee. He said, if you, if you cry up to me, I'm going to respond. He goes, he's going to give you an answer. I personally believe that every prayer has an answer. Number one is a direct answer. Sometimes God just directly gives you what you need at the moment you need it. Sometimes, how many times you've been sitting there looking at a child or a situation or a circumstance and you needed wisdom, you said, God help me, God help me, and then God helped you, and you're like, wow, that was amazing. God just helped me. You know, it's the prayer you pray when you see the lights going on behind you and you find out that, that you look down at your speedometer and then you pull over and, you, and the police drives on by, you know, and you're like, oh, hallelujah, Lord, you're so good. I love you and appreciate you helping me on that situation. You're relieved and you're like, Lord, not now, not now. And he goes, woo, and you go, oh, yes, amen. Or when you go to Walmart and you're looking for that spot and it shows up, that guy backs out and you're like, oh, this is what I've been, thank you, God. You've answered, sometimes he answers our prayers directly. Sometimes he denies our petition. He just says, no, I'm not going to do that. Like a, like a mother or dad would deny their child of something if they wanted to, you know, have a pet rattlesnake. You'd say, no, 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 no. If they wanted to eat cotton candy three times a day, you'd say, no. Not because you're a bad parent, not because God's a bad God. It's just not good for us. Sometimes the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 12, 8 that we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Sometimes we ask for things that we might think is a great idea, but God in heaven says, no, that's not good for Jim. That's not good for Tammy. That's not good for Stephanie. That's not going to be good for you. So sometimes he answers directly. Sometimes he answers in denial. He says, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, we're not going to give you that. Sometimes he answers in delay. Sometimes the thing that I want now and I feel like he should give me now, it's not a good time. Trusting God's pace in my life is very important. And, and trusting God's place that he's put me in is very important. You know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth 
If they had a baby, the years that they were asking for a baby, it would not have been as significant, and you would not know the story of John the Baptist. He was born out of due time in a special situation, but it was delayed. There are things that maybe you've even stopped praying for. God's going to answer a prayer that you prayed in your youth or several months ago or several years ago or maybe decades ago. Remember my mother years ago would pray, and uh, she said, Lord, would you give me a house? Would you just give me a house that I wouldn't have to pay rent, my husband's pay rent, wouldn't have to pay a mortgage? Well, that sounds like a far-out thing. But you know, the Lord, for nine years, let my mom and my dad live in my Aunt Mary's house. It was a mansion in West Knoxville. My aunt started having problems with Alzheimer's memory, things of that nature. Maybe you've heard about this guy. He went to the doctor because he couldn't remember things. He said, I've got terrible problems with my memory. And the doctor said, how long have you had these problems? He said, what problems? <laughs> that would be a problem with your memory, right? My sweet aunt had started having problems. Her name was Mary Bowman. And, and uh, there some other nieces. She didn't have any children of her own. But my, my dad's cousin said, well, let's just put her in a nursing home. We'll just take her over there and put her in the memory care unit. And my dad had a constitution. But he says, no. That's not what we do. That's not what God wants us to do. If we can all, if possible, let's take care of them. And he said, well, you want to live in our house? And he said, yeah, if you want us to. They lived there nine years. Didn't pay a dime for rent. Didn't even pay utilities. And lived there. And my mom's oftentimes reminded me, she goes, John, that was an answer to prayer. So sometimes just getting a mortgage, getting the rent paid was just so stressful sometimes. We lived there nine years. It was stress-free. Whatever we had, them, had taken care of, it. and my mom reminds me how much that God heard her prayer. But it was delayed. It was after, you know, 18 years, 19 years of, of kind of some tumultuous times. She prayed that many times, and God gave her what she wanted. But it was delayed. And then sometimes God answers our prayer a different way. He just doesn't do it the way we think it's going to be done. He answers. How many could probably give testimony how God answered a prayer, but it was a different way than you thought it would be? Most of us could think about that. And his way is best, don't you think? As for God, his way is perfect. Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's look real quick at chapter 5, verse number 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And love is really, it's, a, um, it's just a heart, it's giving without expecting anything in return. Most of us, we have an angle. When we give, we at least want someone to say thank you. They don't say thank you, so that's the last time I'm doing that. And it really shows the shallowness of our love somewhat. Love is, is giving. God so loved the world that he, did God die for Hugh Hefner's sin? Did he die for, for um, the, Mr. Manson's sin? Yes, he died for the sins of the whole world. Yeah, he died. Doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven, but he did pay for their sin. I do believe that with all my heart. But love, love is the first one. Joy. Peace, joy is like a it's like a beautiful deep well inside of a person that allows them to to be okay even in difficult times. And the joy of the Lord is our gives us strength. He said the fruit of the spirit is first found in three things that are eternal: internal love, joy, peace. Peace is a quietness of soul. I think one of the things you see about this in First Peter chapter three, where it says a lady is very valuable. A woman who is living with a man who does not obey the word can without the word be won by a meek and a quiet spirit. That word quiet speaks of peace. 
quiet on the inside. There's not a lot of noise going on. Some precious girls and men, there's just there's a lot of noise going on. They're not at rest. They're like a, they're like a, a waving ocean, a, a storm-filled ocean. And they're, just, they're, not upset. they're upset with everything. Everything bugs them. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit will bring love, joy, peace. It's internal. Secondly, the second group is long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Long-suffering, in the Bible you have two concepts, and I'll, I'll hasten. But patience and long-suffering. Patience has to do with circumstances. Long-suffering usually revolves around people. That's someone in your life that just seems like to stay up at night thinking of ways to complicate it. That person that keeps giving accusations and innuendos and just kind of aggravates you. But if you were to drive home tonight and you, uh, your tire went flat, would you need patience or long-suffering? Probably need patience for the circumstances. If you went home this evening and you started getting a fever and then a strong headache, would you need patience or long-suffering? But if you have someone in your sphere of influence, it just is someone that is, that is, is a nemesis at the time, adversarial, hurting you with things they say or things they post or things they, they are, they're shedding, you would need long-suffering with that person. Someone that just blows your phone up, you know, calling you oftentimes and and at inopportune times, and just seems like they have no respect for, for what you're going through. You need long-suffering for them, and that's a fruit of the Spirit. None of these things come natural. It's not natural to love. It's not natural to have joy through circumstance and rejoice in the situation. It's not natural to be calm, because everything in society, Satan, is the, he stirs it up, sowing discord. Not to be calm, but to be stirred up. Boy, Satan, he runs the world. L- listen to the news tonight. I don't care which news you listen to. I don't care if you do ABC, NBC, or you do um, Fox or, or CNN. It's all made to stir you up. It's made to, to get you turned up and get fear going. And it, you see flat, you see this, murder, this happened, this happened. Very few things. I mean, they might get a cat off of a telephone pole every, every uh, once every 30 days, but that's about the best you'll see. You, most of it's there to stir you up. That's Satan and society and even our own selfishness. We're addicted to being stirred up to some extent. But spirit-filled people have love, joy, peace, and they have a long-suffering, a, a special patience with people. Number three is gentleness. This has to do with just being a kind person. Someone said, I've wept in the night for the shortness of light to, of sight. To someone's need, I've been blind. But I've never have yet felt a twinge of, forget, of regret for being a little too kind. Well, I, I think we need a revival of kindness. I think one of the, my favorite marriage verses in the Bible is, Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Do you know why people get divorced and go into all kinds of frenzies and will not, will not reconcile? It's because of their hard-heartedness. That's what Jesus said. And then forgiving one another. Why in the world should I forgive her? Why should I forgive him? Even as God for Christ's sake had forgiven you. And then goodness. Goodness, of course, someone speaks of just moral character. But I think when you see the word good in your New Testament especially, it speaks of generosity. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. 
I think it speaks of someone being willing to share, to give of yourself. The Bible tells, let him that stole in Ephesians 4, steal no more, but rather let him labor that which his own hands that he might have to give to them. Labor with only that which is good that he might have to give to him that needeth. I think when you, speak to, when you see the word goodness in the Bible, though it does mean general morality and, and being a good soul, I think it means sharing. And by the way, the best way you can be a generous person is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The best way you can be patient toward people is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The best way that you and I can be loving and joyous and, and peaceful is the shortcut, is the fruit of the Spirit. Look at the next, the next couple things and we'll conclude. Verse number... 20, the end of 22, now he shares the last three, and faith. And another word for that faith is just faithfulness. And without faith, it's impossible to do what? Please God. Faith is first and foremost to God. Um, your faith will, will, will rest heavily upon your opinion of God. If you're only faithful to church as long as people treat you nice and you really like it here, you'll quit. It's just true. If you'll only be a bus captain, you only serve the Lord as a bus captain, Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, security, whatever it is that God gives you a chance to do, if you only do as long as someone pats you on the back, you'll quit. But if you do it for faith toward God, you'll be faithful for a lifetime. Because you'll have plenty, and I, I just grieve when I find some of the lame excuses that people have on why they no longer are faithful to God. And they put it out there, well, this person hurt me, this person. Listen, you don't serve God for that person. <laughs> you serve it for who he is, who God is. Look at the next one, if we can, please. Verse number, uh, verse number 23, meekness. And meekness is a, a willingness to be governed or a willingness to adjust to another's pace or agenda. And I think this is, uh, this is opposite of self-will. You know, many of us, we have an agenda. We have a want, something we want done. But meekness is, is, is something the Spirit of God gives you. It's a willingness to adjust. It is, is something that uh, God finds very valuable in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. It's like a horse that's just muscle-bound, and then there's a child on the horse. doing. I've just uh, watched a, a few uh, rodeos recently on, on, uh, on, the, uh, on the videos, and... I like rodeos, but I'm always impressed by horses and these huge horses, and yet people can jump on them and steer them. The horse does not have to obey whoever's on his back. He can kick them. He can run them off onto a fence or a tree or take them off, but he lets whoever's on the back determine what that horse does. That's a type of meekness. It is, it is someone yielding their strength to the pace and the will of another. You know, that's something that, that we do toward God. God has made something stronger than your will, and that's his. It's his will, and that's yours. You don't have to do what you, you, what you want him to do. He's not going to make you. I think eventually we'll all end up at his presence, obviously, and we'll be glad we did or wish we would have. But he wants to lead us. He leads us up in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And, and I love what Brother Lee Robertson said about leadership. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. But boy, sometimes when I think about that quote, I think, you know what? God's the greatest leader. Why are we such failures? Is it because of his leadership? It's because of our fellowship. 
And meekness is required when we're walking with God. Letting him set the pace and put us in the place of his choosing and quit fighting him. It's a gift, it's a a fruit of the Spirit. And the last one is temperance. And that is basically, that's a discipline, and in my opinion. It's it's controlled. It's being disciplined. And some of us were much more disciplined than others. But it's temperance, and we need that for the Spirit of God's God's help. We'll conclude. Let's look at, read just these next verses without very much comment. Verse 23. uh, 23, it says, Meekness and temperance against us, there is no law. There's no no law about how much love, joy, peace, and all those things you can have. 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with afflictions and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Would you read verse 25 with me? If we live in the Spirit, so if you're saved, what does that, what's that say? Live like it. Yeah. If you're a Christian, live like a Christian. If you have the Holy Spirit and He's become alive in you, there's been a day of salvation, then live. In such a way that it would please the Lord. And then the last thing it says, while you're living this way, let us not be desirous of vain glory. Don't, don't be proud. Don't provoke one another or aggravate one another, but instead and envy one another. He said, don't, don't look down. And sometimes whenever we are doing the right thing, we become pharisaical. Let me give you three thoughts real quickly. You say, Pastor, I want to be spirit-filled. Let me give you three thoughts to consider. Number one, want it desire. So much of the spirit-filled life is wanting to let someone else have the reins. How many of you are a little bit control freak when it comes to driving? You want to drive. You know, you're just not really content with someone else driving. It's really because you can determine how fast we go, how slow we go, how we make our turns, how we do this, what thing we, we, we like to control things. Let me tell you, the spirit-filled life is letting someone else be in the driver's seat the Spirit of God. And He'll take you places and you'll do things much better that way. You're best driven by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a desire to want to be. Number two, you're going to have to have a relationship with the Bible. Let the, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Okay. Trying to live the Spirit-filled life without a relationship with the Bible is similar to organizing a, a, a new house construction and getting a subcontractor and then giving him no tools and no material. So I want you to build me a house. No, no, no two by fours, but build me a house. No, no, no concrete, just build me a house. You're not going to ha- let the Holy Spirit of God fill you unless you are in step with the Word of God. So however it is that you're going to apply the Word of God by listening to it, by reading it, by absorbing it, by meditating on it, by loving it. However it is, you must give attention to the Word of God. So number one, you need to want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Number two, you'll need to have a relationship with the Word of God. I think number three would be that you need to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Say, Lord, I want it, and I'm asking for it. I'll need to have a relationship with the Word of God. And then one more thought, and that is to be consistent and faithful in the things you know are right to do. Just say, Lord, please help me to be faithful. You know you're supposed to be at church. What should you do? Going through a low time, a hard time, what should you do? Yeah. Be where you're supposed to be. Be consistent and faithful in the place that God's placed you. I believe this would make for a better Christmas to remember if we could be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray together.